0: let me invite you now to stand and turn in your bibles to isaiah chapter 1 isaiah chapter 1 and we started this series last week by really providing an anchor for you through the lengthy book of isaiah in isaiah 61 so i'm going to make some references to isaiah 61 which is so key to our understanding of isaiah because that's where jesus began his ministry And his understanding and explanation to people there Isaiah is the second most quoted Old Testament book in the New Testament 66 times only second to the book of Psalms but we're unfamiliar with it aren't we so let's fix that together in this series so Isaiah chapter 1 I'm going to read verses 1 through 9 this morning the vision of Isaiah the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel? does not know my people do not understand ah sinful nation a people laden with iniquity offspring of evildoers children who deal corruptly they have forsaken the lord they have despised the holy one of israel they are utterly utterly estranged why will you still be struck down why will you continue to rebel the whole head is sick and the whole heart faint From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but bruises and sores and raw wounds. They are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. Your country lies desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Your very presence, in your very presence, foreigners devour your land. It is desolate as overthrown by foreigners And the daughter of Zion is left like a booth in a vineyard, like a lodge in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. If the Lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors, we should have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Let's pray together. O Lord, how we thank you for this ancient prophecy and message of grace given to your people then, and to us now, may we be responsive to it, we ask. Lead us in that in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> as many of you know, my mom has dementia and she's in a mem- memory care unit. And Tracy and I went to visit her back in April as my sabbatical started. And You know, you have to wear a mask when you go into the memory unit. So we had our mask on and my mom sitting in her wheelchair, she's in a wheelchair now, she's kind of looking at me. With that skeptical look, she didn't know who we were. And so I take her wheelchair and go to her room. And we're sitting there talking. I don't have my kids with me, so I'm gonna go out on a limb here. I already know the answer to this question, but I'm gonna ask her, because I've seen her progressively worsen each year, and I ask her, well, I take down my mask, take my mask off, and I ask her, do you know who I am? No, no. And I knew what the answer would be, as I've told you, but it still hurts, doesn't it? It still hurts not to be recognized. I mean, my mom was my biggest fan. And boy, did I give her problems. And boy, did she outlast all my rebellion. But she doesn't recognize me anymore. When you Look at the beginning of Isaiah here. It begins with an account, similar to what I've just told you, of family forgetfulness. Those we should remember, those we should never forget, our children, our parents. And you notice here there's a reversal. It's not the parent suffering from dementia who has forgotten their child. It's the opposite. It's the child who has forgotten the parent. And this kind of spiritual dementia is really the problem that Israel struggles with. And I'm going to show you that this morning, this problem of spiritual forgetfulness and how God's grace addresses it. And so first, let's look at this, this problem, this family problem of spiritual forgetfulness, how Israel has forgotten the heavenly father we begin in verse one and you see here this is the vision of isaiah the son of amos this book begins differently than other prophecies because other prophetic books begin usually with the call of the prophet how the prophet uh, got to be called by god that's not going to happen till isaiah 6. so we begin here instead with a placement in history you cannot deny the historicity of Isaiah. It's right here in verse 1. Four kings mentioned that places Isaiah into the stream of history. So, you cannot say that because of the accuracy of the prophecies that this came after that which was prophesied, as many scholars do. No, this is the supernatural inspiration of God Almighty to give Isaiah knowledge he otherwise couldn't have before those events happened that's verse one and in verse two we hear of israel's problem and how important the opening verses of isaiah are and they really carry us forward through the entire book look at verse two Hear, O heavens and give ear o earth for the lord has spoken so we're going to get an announcement in front of the cosmos and what is that announcement God's saying this, children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. That is a situation that many parents experience. They raise kids with the right values. They want to pass on their faith. And instead, there is a rebellion. There's an insurgency. There is a willful Spiritually, spiritual forgetting of the way that parents have invested. And here, God has reared and brought up. Think of how he has cared for Israel as a nation, delivering them from slavery in Egypt. He has watched over them. He has provided for them. He has protected them. He has reared them and brought them up. What are the thanks he gets? They have rebelled against me. And this rebellion is described in spiritually forgetful tones. Look in verse 3. The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. And what's being said here is, look, at least the beast, at least the animals, they know. They know something that you have In your rebellion, forgotten this spiritual dementia that Israel is suffering from, a spiritual forgetfulness that is willful. The ox knows its owner, the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. This is the problem of Isaiah, if you will. God is as the righteous judge. Calling out the nation of Israel as a warning because his judgment is coming against them. Verse four describes the situation. They are a sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evil doers, children who deal corruptly. Remember last week in Isaiah 61, 2, part of Jesus' pronouncement at the onset of his ministry is that he has come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's Isaiah 61.2. And we talked about the year of Jubilee from Leviticus 25 and how God had this economic reset, this forgiveness every 50 years where the debts would be reset, where the slaves, debt slaves would be free. But Israel didn't practice that. It was meant to point to the one who would wipe all of our sin slates clean. But they have dealt corruptly with each other instead. They have, look at verse 4, second half of verse 4, forsaken the Lord. They have despise the Holy One of Israel, they are utterly estranged. Now, Holy One of Israel, this is to whom their offense is toward. The Holy One of Israel is one of Isaiah's favorite titles for God, used 25 times in the book of Isaiah, and it is holy means to be set apart. It means to be heavy and weighty. And they have not dealt with God on the basis of his holiness. He is absolutely set apart in their sin, has separated them from God. Their rebellion has alienated them and estranged them from the very plan and providence of the one who wants to do them good. They are, look at the end of verse 4, utterly estranged utterly estranged. How did they make this journey? They made it through the window of spiritual forgetfulness. They do not know. They do not understand the very thing they should. Now, some of you I know have estranged children, or you have children who, if we're being honest with each other, I've had it up to here. you know, with... Maybe what they post on social media, what they believe now. I'm talking about older kids here. And they're articulating the very things that are counter to the way you raise them. I want to tell you God knows what that's like. And sometimes in church communities, we can be very punishing to parents of children who are estranged. And some of us have these rigid views of parenting that if we just put in, put in the right things, absolutely the right result will come about. And let me pop that bubble, that is not the case. You can do an excellent job as a parent, and if you have adult children, you know they still make their own decisions. And so we of all people should have compassion on the parents of estranged children to come alongside and to encourage them because God raised an estranged child, did he not? And here we are saying, well, you must have not not done right because if you did right, the result would be right. And would you say that to God? would you say that god didn't do enough that maybe he didn't love in the right ways he still had an estranged child and we'll see his grace in loving this estranged child and we'll see his grace in calling this estranged child back but let us not be our own enemies let us have compassion on fellow parents Who have struggled let me tell you the world can absolutely dismantle the best laid and planned christian worldview and christian upbringing part of the reason for that is the world operates intuitively and with feelings and we are still stuck in 1976 approximately and we think if you just teach people the right things they'll believe correctly Have you ever heard of Netflix or TikTok or any of the... This is how a secular worldview is communicated, not in propositional truth, but in feelings and intuition. And we need to wrestle with that in our own generation. So that's if you have older kids who are estranged. Now, if you are in the valley of the shadow of parenting, I did just say that, (laughs) and maybe you're overwhelmed, and let me tell you, you got good kids, but... um, You know, every now and then it's like my mom would tell me, I've had it up to here um, with me. If you're in the valley of the shadow of parenting, we want to come alongside you as a church. And we want to say, no, it doesn't take a village to raise a child. We're going to deny that. It takes a church, a church community. You know what's so powerful about taking your kids to Sunday school class and letting them be taught by other people? deep down, your kids start to recognize, you know, mom and dad are not the only ones who believe this. It's the power, the greatest apologetic is not our propositional truth. It is the power of a community. A community where the kid knows deep down within their soul that mom and dad are not the only crazy ones who believe what is written in this so i encourage you bring your kids to sunday school class engage with them let the church help you disciple your children as we lock arms let's lock arms the world is an imposing enemy let's lock arms together and be in the midst of this as we love and raise children together and so Israel's utterly estranged. And the extent of this spiritual forgetfulness is the next topic here in verses five through eight. How has how this spiritual forgetfulness affected them? Verse five two questions are asked Why will you still be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? now because the quotation begins and there's not quotation marks in the ancient text but because it begins in the second half of verse 2 we know this is god asking and saying this and in part it's the struggle of the estranged uh, parent to say look i'm asking you rational questions here you are destroying your life and it's that dynamic Where the spiritually forgetful child says, I know I am, and that's okay. Do you see, there's not a response to the rational here? Why will you be struck? Why will you still be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? There's no answer. They're just gonna do it. Sin doesn't have to make sense. Later, and we'll see this next week in verse 18 come now, look at at this, come now, let us what? Reason together. God's gracious invitation, come and talk. Let's reason together. No way. They're rebellious. They're not going to respond to that. And so what's the situation, the extent of what's going on here? It's complete and total spiritual forgetfulness that has negatively affected them. Look at the second half of verse 5, the whole head is sick. The whole heart faint. Do you remember uh, back last week, Isaiah 61:3? we receive the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. Do you remember that? The faint spirit, the weakness. God addresses that by his grace. And here what we have is we have a faint heart. So you can think for a moment here, the head is sick. That's the intellect. That's that propositional truth. People believe things that are totally contradictory and don't make sense, and by the way, they're okay with it in 2020. But not only is the head sick, what else is sick? What's what's faint? The heart. The intersection of the emotion, the will, and the volition all coming together, the heart's sick too. We're in trouble, aren't we? The whole head is sick, the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but bruises and sores and raw wounds. They are wounded, they're in need of healing, and it is part of Christianity that we need to embrace to not underestimate the extent of our problem. The good news isn't good news if you're doing okay. But the truth of verse 5 is, we need help. We need rescue. We need God to come to our aid. You know, it's amazing with technology today. If you're having a heart problem, they can fix that. They can pop out a valve in your heart and go grab another one and swap that baby out. Yeah, it's a lot more complicated than that, but they can do that. If you've got a little blockage, they can put a catheter in there and fix that. And let me tell you all these advances in technology and healthcare can make us arrogant thinking we don't really need help advances in technology and healthcare make us think we're better off than we really are and the gospel says different the whole head is sick the whole heart is faint And we are not going to fix this. Don't overestimate the good that you do or your own spiritual goodness because this diminishes the goodness of the gospel. The goodness of the good news is seen in the embrace of what's happening here in verse five and six. So it's complete and total. The extent of the spiritual forgetfulness, complete and total. And in case we miss that, It really is that bad. That's verses seven and eight. Look at verse seven, your country lies desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Hold on, time out. That hasn't happened yet. This would be like going into the power centers of our world and declaring that they're going to be destroyed. Your country lies desolate. This hasn't happened yet. Babylon has not invaded yet. And what is being said here in part is as the northern kingdom has been taken off into exile, your country lies desolate. It is so certain, so certain that it's as if it already happened. Your cities are burned with fire. Your very pre- in your very presence, foreigners devour your land. Do you remember Isaiah 61.5 from last week? Isaiah 61.5, what's the good news? Strangers shall stand and tend your flock, foreigners shall be your plowmen and vine dressers. The reversal of Egypt, the reversal of the exile. Well, the exile is coming. Foreigners will devour your land. Back to chapter one. It is desolate as overthrown by foreigners. Verse 8 the daughter how bad is it it really is that bad the daughter of zion is left like a booth in a vineyard in other words exposed open to attack Uh, those of us who have daughters oh you want to protect your daughter you want to care for your daughter and here what's happening to the daughter of zion the precious daughter of god is exposed like a booth in a vineyard like a temporary habitation for those who work the vines Like a lodge in a cucumber field, I'll translate this into South Texas speak, this is your trailer on your deer lease that your wife either refuses to stay in or you won't let her stay in because it's that run down. Like a lodge in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. That's the problem. This is the extent of the problem, and it's laid out for us this way to communicate the urgency of our need of the Savior who would be foretold in the pages of Isaiah. Well, where's the hope? There's not a lot of hope here, is there? There's a rebellious people who won't listen, and they've spiritually forgotten who God is and all that He's done for them. They're a sinful nation they don't respond to reason and the whole head is sick the whole heart faint where's the hope we need some hope look in verse 9 verse 9 is the hope if the lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors This is the mention of the remnant that God would protect. It's the first mention of the remnant here in Isaiah that even though they're going to suffer this exile, even though they're going to be carted off to Babylon, even though they will be conquered, God is going to protect a remnant. He's going to keep his promise. His promise to Abraham way back in Genesis 12 and reiterated for us in Genesis 17, God's covenant promise. What did he promise Abraham? I'm going to make you a great nation. How, do, how is that fulfilled? It's ultimately fulfilled in Christ as those who have embraced the gospel, those who follow Christ have become offspring of Abraham, spiritually related. Spiritually, we become God's children. If the Lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors. This idea of the remnant, if you look in Isaiah 10, we'll just look ahead. And by the way, one of the difficulties in Isaiah, I think, is so long. When you start, if, if you only read a couple chapters every day, you reach the end of the book and you've forgotten, at least I have, what happened at the beginning. And so I encourage you at the outset of this sermon series, go ahead and read Isaiah through quickly, and you can listen to it. So by the time you get to the end, you're remembering what chapter 1 says, and that that's, can be really helpful to you. Okay, back to our regularly scheduled programming here. Isaiah 10, verse 22, or excuse me, verse 20. In that day, the remnant of Israel and the survivors of the house of Jacob Will no more lean on him who struck them, but will lean on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. There's that title again. In truth, a remnant will return, the remnant of Jacob to the mighty God. For though your people, Israel, be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will return. Destruction is decreed, overflowing with righteousness. And the idea here is, is God's righteous judgment. Israel deserves it. They've forgotten God. They're not as good as the animals, even in remembering uh, what they should. That's back in chapter one, verse three. And so this concept of the remnant, God's faithfulness to his promises, preserving a people for himself. And if that didn't happen, look in verse nine. We should have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. What happened in Genesis 19? Sodom and Gomorrah are wiped from the face of the earth by God's just judgment. And what the admission here is, is that the Lord of hosts demonstrates his faithfulness, covenantal faithfulness to keep his promises. And this is part of what it means to deal with an inst- an estranged child or a wayward child or a prodigal child. Part of what that means is sticking with them, no matter what, and demonstrating to them the kind of love that God demonstrated to his wayward daughter. And what did he demonstrate? His faithfulness to those promises. We do indeed forget. We suffer from spiritual forgetfulness, don't we? but God remembers. He remembers his promise in the face of Israel's forgetfulness. You know, that day when my mom said, no, I don't remember you, when she said no, you know what I told her? I said, that's okay. I said, that's okay, mom. we'll remember for you we will remember for you it's the power of our community that helps overcome the spiritual forgetfulness doesn't it that if you forget this is part of the beauty of trinity's community you know you have someone who will intervene on your behalf, who will lock arms with you and help you remember. The power of our spiritual forgetting is no match for God's covenantal remembering. Our spiritual dementia, in other words, is no match for the grace of God's good memory. Let's pray together. Lord, how we ask that indeed, though we forget that we struggle with our own spiritual forgetfulness and all that you have done for us, though we struggle in the valley of the shadow of parenting, though we struggle with estranged children, you demonstrate to us what it means to love no matter what. And to remember your promises help us then to remember for the sake of those in our life who perhaps have walked away from the truth of the gospel empower us to remember for them that we would continue to faithfully walk with you and encourage each other in our church community as we deal with the more painful moments in life we thank you for your faithfulness we thank you that though we forget ah. Oh, you remember. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.